When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people ask me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. All right, it is film study for week six. We're going to take a look at the defense because either way, you win by 20 points or two points, it's still a win. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing great. Um, this will be a fun game to get into because I think it was a, uh, again, we're still here. We're five and one and people are not happy and it's not good enough for people. We're sports fans. We complain all the time about everything. If we didn't have something to complain about. We wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. All right. Well, to really dig into this, we're going to bring Sarah in. Sarah, you've been on the show many times. Welcome back. It's been a few weeks. 
Thanks, guys. It's good to be back. Uh, I was just saying beforehand that I haven't been here since week one. Uh, lots has changed. I was feeling a lot better about many things after week one. So uh, still in a good position, as you guys have mentioned, at five and one. But, uh, you know, plenty of room for improvement. All right. She's S.G. Ellison. Do I have it correct? On, on, uh, at S.G. Ellison on Twitter? That's correct. Yep. All right. Great. We're going to talk about your new project, which we're really excited about at the end of the show. Uh, what does the bye week mean to us right now? Going into this, get a week off. We get Pittsburgh after that, which for starters is fantastic that, that it just happened to work out that way, especially considering that the, the Steelers have that Thursday game later in the year against us. The Ravens in the John Harbaugh era are they're 10 and 2 in the regular season coming off the bye. So there's no doubt that under John Harbaugh, the Ravens do well when they have an extra week of preparation, they have an extra week of rest. The Ravens uh, were very fortunate in where the bye got moved because of the Titans game. So Pittsburgh got the shorter end of the stick there. Um, but it's going to happen to everybody. Everybody's going to have to be dealing with COVID. The Ravens just had to do it with Brandon Williams, who didn't even test positive. So, uh, But no doubt, this bye comes at the right time. Um, and, and you couldn't ask for anything more as you go into a big... Uh, AFC North showdown to see who's going to become the king of the North, at least midway through the season. Yeah, huge deal. Obviously, the Steelers got some bad injury news uh, in the last uh, 24 hours or so with uh, Devin Bush out for the year now. Uh, just had surgery for his knee. Uh, another ACL injury. There's been a lot of them this year. Uh, what about the Ravens themselves, though? Are they kind of limping into this bye from your perspective? Uh, I mean, they are, but, uh, you know, I was thinking a lot about what Calais Campbell said in his post-game interview. And he says it's, it's moments like these that championship teams are, are forged. And a lot of people kind of rolled their eyes at that and said, well, you guys are playing no, nothing like a championship team, which is true at this point. But it got me thinking about last year, 14-2. and two, And after those two early losses, the Ravens just cruised. They cruised. I mean, they beat good teams, playoff teams – but they never got punched in the mouth. They never got punched in the mouth until they went in and played against the Tennessee Titans and they had no counterpunch. And so, you know, I'm buying a little bit of what Calais Campbell is, is selling that I'm okay with these types of games happening if the Ravens use it to serve as a wake-up call. So, you know, for the de defensive side, if they use this as a wake-up call, to, dang it, put your foot on the opponent's necks and, and don't let them up no matter how good the first three quarters are, then do that. There's other wake-up calls for the offense, certainly with penalties and other things, and you guys I'm sure will talk about that tomorrow night. But, um, uh, you know, I'm okay with it as long as this is what Clea says. You use it as a learning moment and you become more forged and you say, you know what, we got punched in the mouth and we still figured out a way to win. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think I'm even as down as all that in terms of where the Ravens are right now. I mean, there's a lot of variation week to week. This was not a game that I think was ever really in doubt until about the final four minutes. Yeah, yeah they they scored a touchdown on fourth and eighteen on fourth and nine. Right, they had the eighteen yard touchdown floater into the end zone. Two <laughs> yeah. best cover corners, you know, two of the best cover corners in the entire league are right there. And neither one of them can somehow make a play on that football, which is really weird. It's just an oddball of a play that, that n nothing could be done about that. 
Um, and then they had the 49-yard pass interference penalty, which which I thought was garbage, uh, along with a couple of the roughing passer calls. But I don't want to be that guy. You know, there's a lot of bad calls in this game. But the 49-yard pass interference call is such a high-leverage play yeah. to get Philadelphia down the field that I, I was upset about it. Well, I guess, and I completely agree, because you're absolutely right. There was the prayer that Wentz put up and then a BS call from the official. But that's the point. If you don't put them away... You let them hang around long enough, then prayers can be answered. Referees can can intervene. And so, you know, the Ravens had their chances. Patrick Queen in the fourth quarter had his yep. hands on a pick six. Elliott, you know, had his hands on a game-sealing interception and then dropped it. Jihad Ward, they had they had them stopped, and then he gave the roughing the, the passer, which, rough, roughing the passer, which that one was one of the few that on defense that I thought was legit. So I guess that's what I'm saying. Like that's the point. Those types of things, prayers, all that kind of stuff can answer if you don't take advantage of the opportunities. And they had many to just put them away. It was it was a bad game of not converting turnovers. They had, yep. they had a lot of interceptable passes from Wentz. That's exactly his weakness. They didn't convert any of the three really prime ones. There was others. There's others that the ball gets tipped and they're not in the area. You, you hope to occasionally convert one of those. But, you know, they had one taken away by penalty. It was a garbage penalty on Calais Campbell. Uh, it, it, all it ended up doing it was allowing a missed field goal attempt at the end of the half. So, thank goodness it didn't hurt. Right. But, uh, you know, that was, a, that, was a, that was a really significant play in terms of, of that point in the game or, or at, the, at a moment when it, when it happened. Uh, you know, you mentioned Queen, but McPhee dropped a gimme interception. <laughs> yep. They had a another interception. I'm not thinking Clark. Who am I else am I thinking about that had an interception that they didn't make? Elliot. Uh, yeah, Elliot. But why? If there was one Elliot and one Clark. Clark was just wiped away from a ticky tack pass right. inter, pass interference on Campbell. Elliot was at the five yard line late in the game. Yeah. On on the I think it's the play they eventually scored on the fourth and nine play. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, a, a lot of a lot of uh, obviously chances went by the wayside. This isn't something that the Ravens can do, and that's the, one of the concerns I have about them is are they turnover conscious enough? They're, they've had the most forced fumbles in the entire NFL and the most recovered fumbles in the entire NFL. Both good, and twelve and seven is not an unreasonable relationship of forced fumbles to fumbles recovered to say they were lucky. Mm-hmm. But I am concerned that they've only got three interceptions. And this is known as a, as a team that you know, has a great secondary, is all set up for tons of interceptions. Clark has already lost two to penalty this year, but the three interceptions is towards the bottom of the entire NFL. Yeah, I don't know if that I'm ready to use the word concern. Look, I am, I am here to get these defensive guys on the jugs machine, okay? Mm-hmm. So you can't ever say I don't want more interceptions. I certainly would love to see them, and they – had their fair share ready for him uh, against the Eagles. So Carson Wentz is the most inter- going into that game was the most intercepted quarterback mm-hmm. in the league. So, uh, so you want to see that. Having said that, it isn't a concern for me because the Ravens are so good at the force fumbles, and they're number one, Ken, as you know, in the league in turnover differential. So it's hard for that to hit concern level for me. Yeah, the the, the I, I guess. It, this is the, the common thought is that the fumbles are more luck in terms of the recovery, and that's the, the traditional analytics view, whereas the interceptions are not. And I don't completely buy it because I think there's a luck component to interceptions too, particularly just how the ball gets tipped. Like well, yeah. I look at the, at the passes defense to interception ratio because all interceptions are passes defense. 
So it's it's really how many of those passes defense do you need to get to get a single interception? And if you have a ratio of about five to one, you're normal in the league. If you have three to one, you're you're very special defense that's extremely ball conscious. The only guy I'm worried about right now getting started, and then I think once he does, he's just gonna he's gonna collect a number of interceptions, is Elliott. He needs okay. to get he's been a he's been a guy who is clearly the defensive playmaker right now on the team, or one of them. Mm-hmm. And and there's no reason on earth why he can't become a guy who is vulching interceptions regularly. He's in the right place, terrific speed, playmaking ability, gets the football, you know, a second man, all the good things that he's done so far this year. But he needs to get on that interception thing. He needs to start getting a couple cheap ones so he can get a get a good roll going. And then I think he's he's going to take off in terms of his career. Yeah, he had it this time. I'm sure we'll talk more about it. I was in love with Elliott's game today oh, yeah. against Philadelphia. How could you yeah. not be? Yeah. Well, what a game. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's talk about the game itself a little bit. The, the voracious pass rushes, I think, what really did it for the Ravens. Obviously, it obviously staked them to their big lead in this game in a lot of things, in a lot of ways in terms of field position and, and other ways. But, uh, you know, they, they were playing light in this game, which is one of the big factors. And they went into this game, Brandon Williams is out, but also Derek Wolf was out, which left right. them with only four defensive linemen active that, that they could activate only four on the roster okay and i'm not counting jihad ward because that's garbage he doesn't ever play on the inside on rundowns and right. that's where the fear is right so you know, coming into this game first of all they could have a- activated aaron crawford from the uh, practice squad without any particular cost to it they didn't do it a little surprised by that move first of all uh <laughs> I'm not. I mean, I think what they obviously what they chose to do was I think they obviously well you got to put in Justin Ellis there who I thought had a solid game, um, and then I mean obviously relied on Campbell to pick up some slack, um, and then also in there kind of is Matabike and Washington who are both um, you know rookies. I mean I get what you're saying. It's only four defensive linemen if you have an injury. <laughs> You it's know, a big problem. It's yeah. a big problem. It's a big problem. So I see what you're saying, um, but it, it didn't it didn't set off any alarms for me. Okay. So the one thing I looked at, I was kind of optimistic about it, was that the Philadelphia is a very light team, meaning they they were down a tight end and it's their good blocking tight end. That's Goddard, mm-hmm. and and so they came into this tight end. And they did bring up Kroom, who ended up scoring a touchdown in the game, but he's not not thought of as being a particular great blocker, and. In order to go heavy against the Ravens, they had to go to a sixth offensive lineman, which they did on four occasions. Mm-hmm. But they're not a team that was really built to play power football. And obviously, the offensive line itself is not a strength. So you wouldn't figure they'd be able to necessarily play power football. But I, I did, I always look at that and hey, sports fans always have to worry. We talked about this already. I was worried about that. Yeah. And, and you know, I, you're really good at checking those, um, you know, uh, practice squad call-ups and, you know, who's there both on the offensive and defensive line. And more often than not, I've seen, you know, John Harbaugh take some chances. Uh, I remember him doing it a few times on the offensive line last year. He did it here. And I don't know if it played into it that they knew that the Philadelphia offensive line was hobbled itself. Oh, yeah, they Maybe, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, so that may have, like, bolstered his confidence. Again, you you do run the risk that there's going to be an injury. Um uh, but, you know, I'm sure that they had a little bit more confidence that things would be okay with, with what Philadelphia was going through. Yeah. Uh, looking back at the times they have not had Brandon Williams, and this is the first game of the non-Michael Pierce era. 
where they have not had Brandon Williams in right. at least you know at least since 2015. Right. But Brandon Williams, uh, you know, they played seven games without him. They've given up 1,156 yards on 226 carries. That's 5.1 yards per carry and 165 yards per game without him. And I just want to throw by comparison out there because 1,156 mm-hmm. yards, eh, that doesn't seem. The 2,000 Ravens allowed 970 yards the whole year. <laughs> so. Now, well, what I what I look to, like to look at with the, the comparison, which I think brings it even more into, or for me anyway, it brings it more, uh, very much into light, is okay. So Brandon Williams, um, the first time he missed a game due to injury was 2017. So I look at the games 2017 that he was in and the games he wasn't since 2017. Mm -hmm. The Ravens essentially give double the rush yards per game when he's out. It's Mm -hmm. 87.2 rush yards per game to 160. Um, I know against Philadelphia, they gave up 194, which is even worse than than what the the, contrast had been in the past. Having said that, if you're just talking about a feel for the game, some of those games that, that Williams was out, was out, it just felt like teams were just like gashing constantly eight, nine, ten yards, just like these big things, which didn't really happen. It was more, you know, a lot of trickery plays that got the Ravens um, that just kind of got them off. So when I went back and I looked at the box score and I was like, holy cow, 194 rushing yards, it didn't feel like that to me. And, and I think it was because, you know, you got the 75-yarder on the, on the Sanders run, which the entire team bit going after Jalen Hurts. He was basically used as a decoy. So there's 75 yards there, and they're important 75 yards, but if Brennan Williams were there, would he have been fooled also? You okay, know, well, let, let, me, let me just say probably the answer is no, but Ellis got pancaked on the play by the two guys who were blocking him. So he was a very significant part of – Ashing the middle of that defense was getting okay. him down. Now there were good blocks in level two too, so I'm not saying it would have it would have not gone all the way, but uh, would not gone for you know as it did before. But Ellis Ellis was definitely beaten on that play. But the other thing I would encourage people not to do is to take the take the approach that you just take out the biggest plays. If it just wasn't for the no, 74 that's true. and the 26 and the 20 and the you know it's it was a lot of plays. They gave up a 74 yard play, a 40, a 26 and a 20 in this football game. There's no, no, almost no. <laughs> That that's fair and I and that's why I was purposely trying not to say take away mm-hmm. because I I think that's dumb. Yeah. Like take away Lamar Jackson's 37 yard, you know, <laughs> touchdown run. Okay, well then the Ravens lose. You know what I mean? So, so I was trying not to go down that. What my point was, and, and you, are, you already answered it, is that I'm not taking it away. I'm saying, would Brandon Williams have gotten, you know, tricked also? You're saying no. The two linebackers completely bit for uh, Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. So maybe they, he wouldn't, Sanders wouldn't have gotten past Brandon Williams. But to me, it was like the whole, everybody got fooled. But obviously, you know, Ellis isn't, isn't Brandon Williams. So anyway, point being, it didn't feel to me as bad as past games. That said, that said, I do not want to lose Williams, you know, ever yes, again. Ever again. Yes. <laughs> and, and it was really kind of puts the kibosh on a lot of the, boy, we can't even afford Brandon Williams. Well, you can't afford not to have Brandon right. Williams. If they don't, if they don't have Brandon Williams, they better draft the next Brandon Williams or better draft Hiloti Nada, which is going to be a big commitment of draft capital to do that. So I don't right. know that that makes sense when you're going to pay him not a really exorbitant amount next year after the last restructure. 
to uh, you know to stay here for one year. I think I think he's the Ravens are committed to him to 2021 based on on what I've seen and what happened in this game in part. 100%. I mean, all they have to do is look at the numbers we just discussed. Yeah. It's night and day difference. They can't they can't let that go. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the other fun stuff because the pass rush really I thought was very well suited to a backup offensive line group. <laughs> One pass rusher is not suited to that. They've had two weeks in a row now of feasting on discontinuity on opposing offensive lines. You know, teams that really didn't have it together in terms of understanding who to block when you put up simulated pressure, in terms of how to deal with stunts appropriately. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But, uh, you know, this is a pass rush that put up six sacks, which is terrific, but 17 quarterback hits in this game. Uh, the game book didn't even record them all properly. So they I missed Elliott's on the second I, I play. I saw 16 in the game book, so you yeah. got one more. Elliott's on the second play of the game they missed. Okay. They also missed McPhee for, for a pass defense on the dropped interception of his. <laughs> I, so, love, <laughs> I love that you catch that stuff. Yeah, it's so, so awesome. Well, it's just, it, you, you can't help but not when you're doing what I do anyway. <laughs> yeah. uh, 17 quarterback hits is up there close to the record uh, that the Ravens have ever recorded in a game. They had 20 in a game, or maybe it was 19, but I'm forgetting the exact number. 2006 week three against Cleveland in the 15-14 win there. A lot of people remember that game. Mm -hmm. Maureen and I went to that game, by the way. This is a long time ago. And Stover lined up to kick a 52-yard field goal to win. It was 14-12. to Really a remarkable comeback by the Ravens in a lot of ways. But he, he booted it through, barely made it through. And you can hear Maureen screaming on the TV because there's only <laughs> there's only one screaming voice. The stadium is silent. <laughs> anyway, I love that. It's, That's uh, amazing. <laughs> Um, I went to, um, just kind of on the topic of, of the pass rush, and, and I went to the Philadelphia Inquirer, to, Inquirer today because I wanted to see kind of, you know, how they were feeling in Philadelphia. The first headline I saw, Ken, was Eagles offensive line finally collapses against the Ravens. Then the subhead was the group was without four of its starters, you know, going into the season. So, you know, it makes a lot of – you, you got to put it out, out there as we're about to talk about the pass rush, that it wasn't just like – and it's not just that the four starters were missing. It's that the backups to the backups were, like, being featured. And and then so from, as you were kind of alluding to, it, Wink Martindale, two weeks in a row, is just, like, the Cobra Kai sensei of, like, mm. no mercy. Yes. No mercy. He sees where they're weak. One week it's with a... You know, a terrible offensive line plus a rookie quarterback, and then this just beat up offensive line, and mm -hmm. he's like, "We're just going to attack that," and just was relentless. And and it just is like another time where it just seems like the defense has broken so many teams' will. You know, like the the Washington football team benches their quarterback after the Ravens, mm -hmm. Texans, you know, end up firing their coach, and now their offensive line, you know, in Philadelphia is just like the Ravens made them collapse. It just is finally collapsed, and it's just like week in and week out, the defense is just demolishing all these teams that's a that's a great formula to have yeah i mean the ravens broke baker mayfield in week one and who did they, they play even play in week two i've kind of forgot no houston right and they destroyed houston they're <laughs> yeah. through all you have to do is find one bad thing that's happened to each team subsequent to that but it's a great formula i love it yes uh anyway let's talk a little bit about the uh, about the pressure metrics in this game sure uh, wentz had ample time and space on 17 of 46 dropbacks which is fairly high considering what the ravens did to him but the ravens didn't really go crazy rushing numbers against him. They only rushed five or more on 19 of 46 dropbacks. That's 41% compared to 44% for the season. So it was really more with scheme 
than with numbers that Martin Deal really attacked them. By the way, 40% high, 41% five-plus rushers, that's high for most teams in the NFL. It's very high. But it's, <laughs> yeah. but it's not high for the Ravens. It's, it's, it's him it's just dialing day. back. Yeah. yeah, it's just another day in the world of Wink Martindale. <laughs> there you go. Um, the elements of deception were fun to watch, though. I thought 20 blitzes from off the line of scrimmage. Now, he's had a few games of 20 before, but that's about as much as you can push it. Uh, that's, that's really remarkable. There's a lot of singles in this game, not too many doubles. A couple important ones we'll get to, but, uh, but that was interesting. Seven stunts in the game. This was remarkable. Seven stunts, six quarterback hits, and one pressure. Didn't get any sacks on the play, but those seven passes only went for 14 yards with two completions. So wow. consistently effective stunting. I thought there were some great stunt partnerships I witnessed in this game. In particular, the relationship between Bowser and Calais Campbell, just mm. wonderful. And consecutive plays, it's like 438 and 435 maybe of the fourth, or maybe I have the time not exactly right. But the first one, Calais Campbell set up Bowser for a stunt through the A-gap. The second one, um, Bowser uh, crossed the face of the right tackle and gave – uh, a loop to Campbell around that left end or the offensive right end uh, for for a quarterback hit or a pressure, one or the other. In either case, it's great to see that back-and-forth action going on. wouldn't surprise me if those were ones called by Campbell at the line of scrimmage because he's he's been on some in some videos and whatnot that says he usually has the ability to do that as long as there's not a blitz called behind him where he has to kind of respect what they're trying to do with getting the blitz on. Mm, mm. I love that. I love that too. Um, you know, you, you talking about this, it, it, it reminds me like coming out of this, of, of course, this was a, an, another pressure filled game, but they did it, um, with a different formula than they did against, um, Cincinnati where it was, you know, you know, all the defensive backs mm -hmm. getting sacks and quarterback hits. And what I really liked in, in, in this one, and again, I have to remember who they are playing against, but it's, it's a good starting point, is I like seeing the big guys finally being the ones yeah. to get the sacks and the quarterback hits. I mean, all the guys on the line, I'm talking about, you know, the outside linebackers plus Campbell and, and Jihad Ward, those five sacks and nine quarterback hits from them, and then Patrick Queen added, you know, two, and then Marlon Humphrey got one. But it made me really, you know, happy to see it was the big guys doing because that is you don't want to have to keep coming up with, you know, time to, you know, it's fun to have the quarter the quarterback, you know, blitzes or the safety blitz. But I want to see it from the big guys. So you know, seeing that, and then you talking about the partnership between Campbell and Bowser. That, to me, is what I want to continue to see moving forward. Oh, yeah, me too. And, and you know, they didn't have Derek Wolf in this game, who's a great stunt partner for right. everybody in theory. So he, he, that would have been a lot of fun to see on the other side, maybe with Matt Abike as a normal kind of a thing that can happen. But if I'm Campbell and we just had this game here where I, I'm next to Bowser, I'm asking Wink to put me next to Bowser. Uh, you know, on the, on the North. Yeah. I, I don't know if you if you can, or it's a function of where the tight end is, or if the Ravens even really worry about that too much, since they've got two great Sam, Sam linebackers who can both drop to cover. But it's it, it's it's one of these things that you know if it's a, it's a big advantage to be on the same side as that player and really, um, you know, have have uh, options to stunt with that. Well, and surprise, surprise, like how much better are we talking about Tyus Bowser in a contract year? Yeah. <laughs> like this is just a recurring theme, but, but you know, better late than never. Yeah, I, I mean, it's fine. Honestly, if if uh, the only th if he had had, had of his breakout year last year, it still would have been expensive to sign him. They would have had an option to do it. But if he has the breakout year this year, 
they can try and get it done right now. He hasn't broken out so much that, mm. and and with COVID looming, I would think there's a there's a reasonable table value on the table they could make that would allow them to sign him. It's it's waving goodbye to Judon when they do it. I mean, as soon as they do it, Judon knows he's not getting paid. Yeah, but Judon, oof, is he worth a massive contract that he's going to get elsewhere? No. Um, and I, I don't think he's living up to the franchise tag. And and he's doing more than, you know, I know that he doesn't have the sacks and he's doing other things, but I don't know if he's living up to the, to what is it, $17 million that he's being paid. Yeah, I mean, it's a valid point. I, I'm... I'm not as down on Judon, and he certainly had a huge contribution to this game. In fact, more than one. Yes, he did. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a real question. He's been off and on. Um, if you look at his aggregate pressure numbers, they're still pretty good. But, uh, but I agree. He's not, he's not exactly who we'd hope for. They're using him a lot in a role that may actually minimize his value. So I'm not sure he's really happy with what's going on right now. Mm. When he's dropping a coverage a lot more, I'm not sure he's really happy about that. So... Uh, anyway, they're doing some other things with him that, that would say he's getting the opportunities. They, they drop him off the line of scrimmage and allow him effectively to pick his gap to stunt through. It's not a stunt, but to blitz through, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think he must love that. But, but when he's asked to drop the cover, he, he probably says, you know, why am I doing this? What am I, you know, this is just restricting my value next year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, he may be unhappy with it. Um, he, I don't know. He never gives off a, a vibe. Mm-hmm. He always seems like a, a team player yep. willing to do whatever. So, but he, and he was also cool with the franchise tag. He's like, he saw it as a blessing. Some people see it as like, you know, this curse and, and whatever. And it can be, especially if they get, you know, players get injured, but, mm-hmm. uh, he certainly hasn't given off, you know, if he is unhappy with that, he doesn't give off that vibe. Yeah. I, I, I feel the same way about that. Always very professional player, very good yeah. teammate. Uh, let's talk. go back to the rush a little bit. They had eight drops of two-plus. Those are simulated pressures that, that uh, they really helped against this team. Uh, eight deceptive blitzes in the game. I wish the answer were that it was a really better total result, but that included the 50-yard pass to Hightower, so it was 67 yards on those eight plays. Uh well, I want to say one thing about the backups to the backups. Jamon Brown got his first start of the year. I don't know how many he's had previously in his career, but it's his first start of this year. Number 66 at right guard. He was opposite Campbell for most of the day. Mm. That didn't play well for him. No. But there's a hilarious video that came out on Twitter of him doing three things during the game. The first was getting pushed down and somersaulted away from the play effectively by Campbell, <laughs> which was very effective. The second one was um, he – quote-unquote, sacked his own quarterback by getting too close. And what I call it is loitering in the pocket. He's actually, I think, on the left side, uh, sorry, offensive right side. And he got too close to the quarterback, which actually precluded Wentz from like getting away. And there's no point to loitering in that area. You're better off just standing further away and letting your quarterback get away with his legs. But the third thing I thought was hilarious, he fixed his gloves during a play. Oh, no. And they caught it on camera. And it, oh, my. It's, it's this kind of thing. It's unforgivable. And, and he did it. And then, and then he realized he was doing it. And he stopped and he looked for a block. It's the worst thing. Oh, just, my gosh. That's really worst thing. I'll, I'll send you a little link to that. if uh, No, if I, I just – did you retweet it today? I did retweet it. I yeah. literally brought it up. <laughs> As you were describing it, I need to do a plug for Ken's Twitter account. <laughs> you got to go to at Film Study Ravens on Twitter. He's retweeted that. That was a joy to watch. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> Fun stuff. Anyway, um, 
what else we want to talk about here? We talked about the interceptable balls a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're good on that. Why don't we talk packages? Okay. All right. So cut in. We'll do whatever kind of disjointed uh, discussion about individual players in the middle of this. But the base package has turned into something different now for the Ravens. They hadn't been playing it much. And in 2018, they only played it uh, 15% of the snaps. Last year, 10.6% of the snaps. And this year, I don't have a percentage for you. They did play it 20 times against Cleveland, who's a very big offensive line, very physical offensive line. But they played it only seven times in this game. And we're down to, it's really the response in either goal line situations or when the other team puts in a sixth offensive lineman. That's when you play the base package, which <laughs> there's, not, there's nothing very basic about nothing, that when you do nothing. that. Yeah. So, so anyway, they mostly play the nickel, and you may remember the fourth and one play. Yes. The Ravens are actually in the nickel. They didn't even they didn't even bother to go to base or to you know put a different defense on the field or whatever. And I think the it got stopped maybe for a measurement before that play yes. on third and one. I might be wrong about this. Might have only got measured on fourth down. But anyway, the Ravens, if they wanted to, could have changed their defense. They just stayed with the nickel, and they had two outside linebackers in a down stance with two defensive linemen, which is really, I mean, you do it as best you can. That's how you, you just line up as best you can when you're, when you're, when you're light like that, but they completely stuffed it. <laughs> those, those two plays, the third and fourth, this is the one they do turnover and turnover mm-hmm. and downs, right? Yes. Both of those were to me, Calais Campbell. The first one clear as day, the, the he handed it off to the running back, try to go up the middle and there's Campbell with your boy here that you've just tweeted about. I already forgot his name. Jamon Brown. There you go, Brown. And, like, he just was, like, getting pushed back. The running back had nowhere to go. He had to, you know, come back out and then try another gap, and then by then another one had already filled in. So, to me, that was all Campbell. And then the next one was uh, Wentz tried to do a quarterback sneak, mm-hmm. and the middle of the line didn't, didn't punch. Move. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I want to give credit to other people, too. It's a sea of green, so it's hard to know exactly, but it doesn't, it, you know, you know that Campbell's in the middle of all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he might have gotten credit for the tackle on the second one, too. So, anyway, he, he, he did so much in this game. We'll, uh, we'll probably have to talk about him at some point on this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Let's talk about other packages. So the base, they played the seven snaps. They only they only got, I think it was six yards on seven snaps. It was eight yards on seven snaps, so 1.1 yards per play. Jumbo nickel, they did four times. There's no logic to exactly when Wink puts the jumbo nickel on the field that I can tell. He did it against 11 personnel. He did it against 12 personnel. And I think he did it once against a six-man line. Hmm. So I think what they're just trying to do with that is to try and show that they might respond differently by package depending on what you put on. So it's like, it's not like any offensive coordinator isn't going to know if I put three wide receivers and one running back on the field on one tight end, the normal 11 personnel, that the Ravens aren't most of the time going to respond with their standard nickel, but they might respond with the jumbo nickel. In that case, what do I do? Or, you know, how do we deal with that? Um, jumbo nickel could also be a way that they're trying to get Patrick Queen opportunities. So if you, if you tie up additional guys at the line of scrimmage, and you only have one inside linebacker, that still might create more opportunities for, for Patrick Queen to run unblocked along mm. the line of scrimmage and make plays. So it may be a, a concession to his physical gifts. Yeah, if that's, if that's the case, I'm all for it, man. That guy is so quick and can knife through uh, these little gaps. So, um, yeah, I'm all for setting him up for, for more playmaking. Do you feel like we're getting the same experience that the scouts got watching Queen's progressive tape at LSU last year? Because the, the thing on him was he'd hardly played at all. 
Right. And he must have been making tons of mistakes because he's still making tons of mistakes at the <laughs> NFL level. So, so we know with we heard about his you know progressive improvement during his final year at LSU, which is his first real significant playing time. And then you know they draft him 28th, which I kind of thought was a reach, frankly, at the time. But but you know the Ravens are happy with the pick, so I get happy with the pick. And then and then they uh, you know obviously. He made all the mistakes he did in the Kansas City game. Even though we were seeing flash in other games, we we certainly saw a lot of mistakes in that Kansas City game. And yet every week he seems to do something new better. I mean, it's the 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 improvement and potentially in in, in part because the ravine was so deep, the improvement every week is like very visible in his play. Last you know, this this week he had a great coverage of the running back thirty five, Scott, in the end zone. That was just terrific. I, I, I can't imagine him doing that before. I mean, let's put this in perspective, too. I think you're making an excellent point. Um, Tyus Bauer, Bowser, we're just talking about, finally coming on in his fourth year. And I don't know how many years he started in, in Houston. Do you know before he got here? Oh, um, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. My guess is it's, a, is it's probably at least double what Patrick Queen got. Mm-hmm. Um, because Patrick Queen wasn't even a starter, you know, last year at, at LSU at the beginning of the season. So to put in perspective that he has six NFL games under his belt mm-hmm. with not a full season, not even a full season of starting in college, and this is the result, yeah, you live with those mistakes as long as you see improvement. And I think as long as you just every week make one mistake less, just don't repeat the same mistakes – because, as you said, the upside is just to the point that people are saying rookie of the year, you know, after the Cincinnati game. And if he had the pick six, you know, against the, the it Eagles, been another big it would have been another, yeah, like C told you, rookie of the year or defensive rookie of the year. So, um, but yeah, I think that's a good point that like the scouts kind of going through it and watching him progress last year with the mistakes, but, you know, his tremendous ability and the same thing going on this year. Um what I also like to do is, is and I know, I know there's coach speak um, at pressures all the time. I like to think that I know John Harbaugh pretty well. Um, you know, after I've been to every single one of his press conferences or listened to him, whether it was there or live, I also did a podcast on his entire family. And I feel like I know when he's BSing. Oh, and sure. When he's, and when he's legit, he legit loves Patrick Queen and I think he's serious when he says Patrick Queen is getting better and learning you know about the mistakes more and more every week yeah I I I agree and you know there's he he goes out of his way to describe things at a different level so that's the tell I look for but Mm. I basically I have a I have a Harbaugh BS meter as well. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when he's talking about any player, and he goes, yeah, he's played great. He's, I, we really like this about him. He's just, he's just using a formulaic coach speak where he's picking out one thing he likes about a player, saying something about that, and then fulfilling the need to answer that question yep. so somebody can write a story. Yep. I, 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 that doesn't sway me at all. It's when he says things about Clark where he's alliterative and he says he's bold, brilliant, and brief. You know, when he's calling yeah, plays. Yeah, because he's clearly thought about it and it's yeah. impacted him in those ways. Yeah. 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 So he's, he's effort went into that. But, uh, yeah, it's, he's, a, he's, he's, a, he's his job is to not reveal too much to the media, obviously, but the right. media also has learned his games. And, yes. <laughs> you know, so, yes. Um, 
All right, let's talk a little bit more about, about packages here. They played the standard nickel on 26 snaps. That was their, their plurality defense. They played, the, well, actually, the, the dime as well. Uh, they really missed uh, Brandon Williams when they played the nickel. They gave up 10 runs for 146 there. Yuck. That obviously included big on 14.6 yards per carry. As if it could get worse than 10.8 overall. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the sub-subset is going to be worse than that. Um, and then they played dime, and they had uh, 26 snaps of that. I, what I liked about this was how Jimmy Smith – took a different role in the game. So Averett started, played five snaps, and got hurt. And I have not heard anything about the severity of Averett's injury today, by the way, uh, in the analysis. It's not good. Um, he is going to be out at least five or six weeks, according to Harbaugh. Oof. He was a little bit unclear. It's uh, a little fracture in either the clavicle or he was, like, kind of in the shoulder area. Um, and then he was asked if Averett would go on IR, and obviously there's different, you know, rules with that. Yeah, three weeks. Yeah, and so he said, yes, he will be put on IR. Um, it's not season ending, it doesn't sound like, but uh, five to six weeks. Yeah, there's no one has to be, you have an unlimited number of IR moves this year, so I, I wouldn't think there'd be any reason to do it if there was some faint hope that he might be back. Now, if the player has surgery, there's probably no reason not to put him on IR. You know he's not going to be back. But it, but it sounds like an injury like this where they're not 100% sure, put him on IR if he happens to, to get better, if he happens to recover to be able to play, hey, he can be back anytime after three weeks. Right, right. So, uh, but, you know, it's just what the Ravens say. I mean, you can never have too many corners, and this is exactly why. We've got Averett yep. now on top of Tavon Young, Iman Marshall. Uh, All three. Uh, am I missing anybody else? Yeah. So, um, and at this point, you know, Jimmy was kind of considered when, when the Ravens re-signed him for, what was it, like $3.5 million, mm -hmm. kind of as a luxury. And yeah. now he's like... Now he's essential. Yeah, now he's and, essential. Yeah, I mean, he he's was... He's an essential worker. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's, he's an essential as the fourth quarter to start the year. And that's why, Corner, I really didn't want him moving to safety at all. I said, you know, leave him off the field. Find the other guy. Maybe that's Geno yeah. Stone. Maybe it's, you know, somebody else you've got. And, you know, it could be... You move Levine back to playing some dime. But whatever the case, figure out who your third safety is going to be that you're actually going to use in your dime defense. And don't have that be Jimmy because there's too much additional injury risk and he's too important as the fourth corner. Now, Averett played well, and I thought, oh, maybe we can get away with this and have you know Averett be the fourth, but not now. Yeah, not now. Um, at the same time, I think the Ravens like using Jimmy back and forth because you, you, know, you can be a little bit more... I guess, surprising and deceptive or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't want to, I know that there's mailbag questions that I don't want to steal from Josh. So, and I think there's one on that. So I won't go much deeper okay. than that. But, um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, just another year, another depleted. <laughs> uh, At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Jimmy's room for the Ravens. Yeah, it's, it, it is great that Jimmy's value is so high. I mean, I think in, in a way, Jimmy's rebuilt his career here. He's got to have a lot of value to some other team next year. Oh, yeah. You know, I would love for the Ravens to re-sign him for the same value, but that ain't happening. I mean, he's, he's going to get a decent contract somewhere else after this year, I would think. 
Uh, he, yeah, he very well could. I just, I said this last year when everybody thought Jimmy was gone, and I'll say it again. His relationship with John Harbaugh is not to be discounted. Okay, so hopefully, well, maybe hopefully you're right and he'll be back. That'd I mean, be if he's if he's offered like double, then sure. But if it's in the ballpark, you know, I think he, I think he'd be happy to come back. So something else that was reported pregame, and I think I saw this from Jeff Zrebeck, but I'm not 100 percent sure it was him and not another reporter, was that there was an injury concern with Gilcrest in the pregame warmups. That he'd been gimpy, hobbling. I may be wrong even about that. It may have been he spent time with a trainer and was rotating his shoulder or something. But he spent time with a trainer after warm-ups and may not have really been ready to go, although he'd already been activated for the game. Uh, yeah, I don't – I didn't see those tweets from Jeff. What I did see today from Jeff was that, um, you know, people were asking him who they think – what the Ravens will do. He gave lots of answers, but one of them was to just bring Gilchrist up um, with Averitt going on IR. So I think, if, wasn't he already activated to the 53, Gilchrist? I thought he was, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, well, I got to look into it. Okay. I'll so anyway, I agree because he's been, he, at, at a minimum, this would be in the second PS call up if that's true. And then no doubt about it, he's, he's getting activated, I would think, because he can only be activated twice. So the Ravens have been really using the rules, activating people for two weeks like Dorsey before him, Gilchrist maybe now, uh, and then and then bringing them up. They brought up Tristan Colon Castillo because somebody was sniffing around. So they may have not mm-hmm. brought up Gilchrist, and I may be wrong on that. But yeah, good bet. I mean, Gilchrist really uh, put a plug in the dime, really helped with that, and and he can play safety on the back end where the Ravens have some issues. You know, with uh, with finding another back end safety, they, yeah. can use, they have other guys that they can. There's always guys who could play dime safety. Um, you know, there's a lot of those guys on the street, but but they have guys who could really effectively play the back end. Is another matter. Yeah, I was. Uh, here we go. Jeff Strebeck about five hours ago, just clearing up some roster stuff. Safety Marcus Gilchrist still has one free call up from the practice squad to the game day roster. Uh, left before he'll have to be exposed to waivers. Sundays didn't count because he replaced Brennan Williams on the active roster. Oh, interesting. So he was a COVID call-up. Yes. Very interesting. Okay, that's schemey. That is, that's, yeah. that's clever by the Ravens <laughs> to get an extra one like that. Well, and I'm trying to, like, John Harbaugh is always, like, acting like he doesn't know the rules and leaving it all on yeah, air. Right. But I'm sure he knows a lot more than he's letting on. <laughs> right, so, so. They, they activated Christian Welch this last week for the Philadelphia game, and they were happy to use one of his call-ups. But Gilchrist's call-ups are too valuable. They didn't want to use one of those. So that's very clever. Yeah. That's very yeah, clever. very good. Okay. Let's move on here a little bit. The All the defenses basically worked. All the pass rushes worked. We talked a little bit about that. Um, individual player discussions. Let's talk about that. Now, what we've been doing on the show, and sorry, this may be a little bit different since the last time you were on, but name a player. You make some comments about him. I'll make some comments about him, and then I'll name the next. All right, I'm going to start with uh, Deshaun Elliott. Um, I said at the top of the show that I loved his game. Um, And I'll I'll pick out one play in particular that I loved, just loved. So obviously he had the forced fumble. And uh, after the game, he said that he had watched uh, about two hours of film of Marlon Humphrey and his punch outs (laughs) and his strips. And so, lo and below, hold, he tries it, and he gets two forced fumbles. So, um, that I, I love. This guy has 
so much passion, so much energy, wants to just get better. So I love that about him. And then that was personified in the in what was really a terrible play for the Ravens, but uh, for me, just showed even more who the t- what type of player Deshaun Elliott is. And it's the one where Jalen Hurts faked the end around and then yep. handed it off, and uh, Sanders went 75 yards. And Elliott is so far behind, and part of it is his fault. He he jumped on on Hurt, so if if he didn't jump, maybe he could have gotten Sanders better. So that part's not good, but. Who taught, who preached about effort all the time? Ray Lewis. You can't teach effort. Effort comes from within. He is so far behind Sanders and he is just never giving up, catches up and forces the fumble. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if another Raven player, I, I can't remember, I think it was Marcus Peters had gotten blocked right. out of bounds, so he couldn't jump on it. And, um, and juxtapose that, Ken. And I hate to 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 dump on people, but 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 you know, juxtapose that last year with Earl uh, Thomas. I, I was just gonna say on the eighty eight yard run, right? Right, with Nick Chubb. <laughs> yes. And and again, angles and all of that, sure, but it looks at least on the camera angle that we have, that that Earl Thomas is well ahead of Chubb, and of course he's gotta run more to the sideline to get mm-hmm. to him. But he gives up and he says after the game, I didn't want to, you know, pull, pull a hamstring. Well, Deshaun Elliott could have said the same. Like, it looked like he was never going to get there. And so and so this is why, this is why you can replace a multiple-time pro bowler who just isn't wanting to be there. Isn't I mean, I guess he wanted to be there, but he wasn't being a team player. Clearly, people were upset. And then you plug in an inexperienced guy but he's putting in effort. He's putting in passion. He wants to get better. And that stuff matters. And I just want to say that because people are always looking for the ABs of the world or you're dumb to let go of Earl Thomas. But sometimes that stuff, attitude, even in the NFL, makes up a lot of ground. I already love Deshaun Elliott. I'm so happy for him. He's been on IR for two years. I'm so happy for him to have this little bit of a breakout year. But, um, I just, I just, that's the type of stuff I like to show my kids. And I already liked Deshaun, but now I'm even more on that, on that boat. Okay. Me too. And it reminded me of a couple of plays in Ravens history. Uh, I don't know if you remember this one, but they played at the Saints in 2014. And mm-hmm. they won that game. One of the big early plays is Lardarius Webb ran across the field mm. to knock somebody down at the one yard line. And the, the uh, New Orleans Saints did not even score. You know, Ravens ended up stopping on fourth and two, I believe, from wow. you know, uh, on that drive. But it was remarkable, and 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 that effort was really worth it. Um, I love to see it too. And Elliot, it was just one of several really great plays in this game for Elliot. Very unheralded play is the hail mary at the end of the first half. You want to talk about punching the football out? He, he had to punch that about four times before <laughs> uh, before Fulgham finally gave it up. Yeah, and then it popped up in the air slightly enough for for Clark to to pick the ball off. We got it all, you know, unwound by the penalty. But if that ball is caught, that penalty is declined, and it's a touchdown at the end of the half, and the, right. and the game is a you know a different story or a different position at least. Um, besides that, you know, Elliot was in there, caused the pressure that caused the PD that resulted in the in the pass for minus six on the second play of the game. Okay. Uh, so that was that was great. He had the near interception. I don't care what you think of the the fact that he didn't catch the ball, which obviously wasn't good, but the fact that he was in position to make that play 
is terrific. That that he's he yeah. was the he was the guy who got to the spot. I mean, one of the one of the criticisms about Elliott in college was that all of his interceptions were easy. Mm. Nothing's easy about interceptions. You get in the right place at the right time, and you have to convert right. a high number of them. And a lot of them come because they're on deflected passes that are spinning, and they're hard catches to make naturally. And that's why they get dropped so often. But you see players, and even Ed Reed, he he dropped his fair share of interception opportunities. It's just he was in the in position for yeah. so many. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and that's what's great about both these, you know, young safeties with Clark and Elliott. Like, they just, they're, they're especially Clark, knows all the assignments. They know where they're supposed to be. And good things happen when you're in the right place, when you're, when you're at where the, you know, everybody needs to play their part and you got to trust your teammates. And so it just brings so much trust when the player is supposed to be, is, is where they're supposed to be. Yep, absolutely. Uh, you know, so, so much to love about those guys. Let me pick a player, another player other than Elliott, because Elliott's had a fantastic game. I, we talked a little bit about Tyus Bowser, but he had a, a a day that was quiet, but he did quite a lot in the pass rush, a lot of it contributory. He had two quarterback hits of his own. He set up a Campbell uh, stunt that, uh, that, that created a pressure there. He dropped to cover 11 times from the line of scrimmage. So it's not like he gets as many pass rush opportunities as the other players. Had a good year last year. He's having an even better year this year, I think. And he's certainly right on the verge of making some big money. How do you feel about his edge setting now, Ken? Better. I mean, last yeah. week I made the point that he had three really great edge setting notes. This game, it was odd. Um, Sir, he's only in for three run plays. Hmm. Let, me, let me confirm that. But I think it was 29-3. and three. For him of, of pass and run, which is really unusual. But the the am I thinking of the wrong guy here? Nope, it's Bowser. Twenty nine passes and three runs. So he's he's been a guy who's been converted to mostly a passing down specialist because of all he brings the Ravens on you know second and long or third and long kind of plays or third and anything plays really. But those are plays where there's not usually a lot of runs. So oftentimes the runs that tend to be scrambles as well. Okay. Well, yeah, because I was going to I just feel like I feel like last year, a couple of times when I came on the show, you know, edge setting was a problem. Yeah. And I feel like it's vast, vastly improved. And maybe that leads to the next guy that I would bring up, which which is McPhee. Um, I think he's part of the reason why, you know, him being healthy, that the Ravens are better setting the edge. Um, John Harbaugh talked about it today. He talked about having heavy hands the right footwork, getting in the right spot. And, like, McPhee is just the last two games, well, definitely against Cincinnati and, and, and yesterday, he just is – he's helping set that edge. And I can't tell you how many times I saw, you know, Philadelphia, whether it was a quarterback or a running back, you know, on the option or a handoff, that they would try to get around. And they're like, oh, crap, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I got to cut back inside. I think McPhee's a part of that. I think Bowser's improved, and I think that Ferguson's improved. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just think that's a big improvement over last year. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I'm not sure they could survive without it because they're definitely not as big on the inside as they used to be without Michael Pierce and Williams both there. So they're, they're having to make do, and, and, and part of that is, is you know getting edge setters that are good. I, I could not agree more than McPhee, though. I mean, those last two games, he has stepped straight out of 2014 for me <laughs> in terms of what he did. 2014, Ravens' pass rush was legendary. 56 sacks. Elvis Doomerville and, yeah. and Terrell Suggs were on the edge. They were, they were generating tons of sacks. But it was Pernell McPhee that was driving that pass rush by 
eating up doubles like nobody's business and beating them a lot. And it looks like he's back there right now. Yeah. The last two games, he's had seven quarterback hits. The last time he had a total of seven quarterback hits in consecutive games was weeks two and three of 2015, five, more than five years ago, first three games with the Bears. So he was a hell of a player that first year with the Bears, by the way, before the injuries started to pile yeah. up. But uh, what's but, his? Is are they keeping him fresh? What's his uh, snap count been like? <laughs> I, as a, you know, it's the thing. It's, it completely goes counter. But I'll tell you his snap count, and this is how I count them. Says does not include the penalties, sure, uh, or spikes and stuff like that. Spikes and kneels. But he has for the year now, uh, two hundred and seven. No, no, I'm sorry. This is not in snaps. One hundred eighty-seven snaps. So 187 snaps in six games, 31 per game. That's about 11 higher than I think is reasonable to expect from him. But boy, when he's playing at this good a level, and against Philadelphia he had um, 37 snaps. And you're what even is, high- What does that work out to percentage-wise? Uh, 30, 37 of 64, so it's a little bit, a little bit under 60%. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a little bit highish. Yeah, a little bit highish than I'd want, but it's hard, like you said. The same thing was going on last year. It was like it's hard to sit him, and then he, you know, gets hurt. So yeah, just want to save him for the stretch. And I think the point you made is excellent. That that because he's such a good run defender, mm-hmm. now you're forced into this quandary of do we really need him more on the field as a run defender or as a pass rusher? I don't know anymore. I mean, I, I guess <laughs> the Ravens will make do, frankly, I think with edge setters with Ward and Ferguson if they're the two, but they really need to have McPhee on for passing downs. He's critical. Boy, he's so good. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to take him off. What a great problem to have. You you know you're playing well when your coach wants to take you off but can't. Yeah, they, they really overplayed him last year, unfortunately, though, and that's really – I don't know if that led to the injury, but every time they put him on the field, they're kind of rolling the dice is the way I look at it. So you're, you know, you're taking a chance that yep. that's going to be his last snap of the year. Anyway, uh, what do we got to talk about too? So we got another player. You, you brought up McPhee. That's a great one. Calais Campbell had uh, a new high in terms of his greatest game as a Raven. Uh, he's my top guy in terms of the MVP voting. I don't think mm-hmm. I'm giving that away, but he had three sacks in the game involved in countless other pressures on a contributory basis. Totally. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I, I don't want to steal your thunder, so no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you're, no, you you no. you can understand the point. Go ahead. Okay, okay. So the the main one that I see is the the game ceiling two point conversion, um, where everybody's so worried about him that the whole reason why Judon was completely unblocked is two two offensive linemen went after Calais Campbell. That both of them went to Campbell and Judon came in completely untouched. And so you see uh, Wentz at the mesh point. He, he couldn't make a decision because right. here comes Judon untouched, not to mention at Fort. Fort, yeah. yeah, which I'm sure maybe they expected one of them maybe to be open and then they, they choose. Then Wentz makes a decision of whether to pull it to run or give it to him. But like when there's two of them untouched, but Campbell, Campbell, just his mere presence took up, you know, all the attention on that offensive line so that he wouldn't blow it up. Well, I, I'm, I've got a slightly different view of that play, but I want to talk about it for a second. Okay. If you don't mind. So anyway, obviously that's the, that's the play of the game in a lot of ways because it's the one that really sealed the win if you, if you don't want to count the two-point conversion. Or sorry, the onside kick is doing it. But what's interesting to me is they try and run a read option play 
against a team, against a defense, that practices against Lamar Jackson every day. <laughs> <laughs> so they're setting up a read option play. Now, the, the actual, the, the left tackle's responsibility on that play is to down block into the defensive tackle and force that defensive end to choose between the quarterback and the running back on that side. So it was a perfect situation. It's exactly what they do. But the problem was Fort filled perfectly. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's frustrated Jackson when the other teams have done that properly. Fort filled perfectly, and that set up a two-on-two matchup, which they really couldn't win. And then to make it worse, he couldn't decide, left it in the mesh point for way too long, and both of them converged, and both tried to tackle both effectively. <laughs> yeah. And they took him in. I, I love that play, and I thought it was pretty funny that Philadelphia ended up running that. You know, you've got all these things in their arsenal, the Philly special and all this other crap, oh, let it get a two-point conversion. And you run a mesh point play <laughs> against the Ravens' defense. Uh, <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, they could have brought in Dre- – I mean, the Jalen Hurts package was sure, sure doing some, some hurt. Yeah, they that would have been. They could have done some – yeah, pulled that one out. But um, another one that I liked on Campbell, which um, was more just him. It wasn't him just, you know, creating pressures for others. But my my favorite of his sacks was the second one, um, which I think was in the second cor- uh, quarter. So I was rewatching. Uh, the game on Game Pass. Mm-hmm. And you know how you can bring up all the plays to your right and the videos to your yes. left. So I like to read the plays right before they happen. And so I could see already it was the exact play that Calais Campbell's going to have a sack. So I'm like, okay, I want to look to see what he does before this play even starts. So I watch him, but he like gets enveloped by the sea of green. And so, like, even though I knew that he was going to be the one having a sack, I took my eyes off of that, you know, little pile of green and looked elsewhere because I was like, oh, he's enveloped. He's done. And then he was, like, out of a scene, out of a superhero (laughs) uh, movie where he just busts out of this, you know, pile of green where, you know, two guys are on him trying to stop him, and he just pushes through and still gets Wentz. I was just like, this This guy is a man among boys. Yes. He was unstoppable. He, he definitely was. He used his length very well in that play. If you don't mind me describing just in Please a little do. bit of what it, But he, he um, went into the right A-gap between Kelsey and Jamon Brown. Jamon Brown, the much maligned on Twitter <laughs> player, and Jason Kelsey, the only starter left standing for the Philadelphia Eagles. So pretty good lineman. Yep, hell of a lineman, in fact. Right. So he went in between those, and and when he's the underneath guy on a stunt, his job is to basically attract a 45-degree angle block from each of those players if he can, and that forces, that takes the attention, allows someone to stunt. If one of them peels out, as Jamon Brown did on this play to block another player, I'm forgetting who it was that he blocked on the play, That'll leave him with a tremendous advantage. And in this case, Kelsey had him. And you can watch the play. Watch the play again tonight after Roth, maybe. And you'll see that Kelsey basically has him at an angle where he's turned 90 degrees. So the the direction that Campbell has to go directly to the quarterback, Kelsey doesn't have any ability to block him right. like that. He's, he's 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 the door is open already. But that's that's how how absolutely devastating Campbell is as an underneath stunt player is he he dictates that contact by first contact he dictates the angles of those blocks be extreme so that when one of them peels off to have to take another assignment. The, the, the remaining guy is dead against Campbell. So I, the Ravens are going to have so much fun using more stunts of that type this year. I'm, I, I'm excited about it. But it was fun to watch. Boy, he was fun to watch all day. Very high effort player. 
Yes. You know, kept yeah. going. Uh, it, he, he, uh, it's, well, first of all, I'm excited to go back and watch that play. What I want to see it with coaches film. Does that come out tomorrow? Does that come out tomorrow? It'll be out tonight at midnight. Tonight at midnight. Okay. Well, I'll, well, it's about an hour away yeah. <laughs> from where we're recording. So maybe yeah. I'll be up, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's really phenomenal with his length and size. Like there's, it's, it's, you know, that could actually be a detriment to yes. not be able to get leverage. And, and I just don't know how he does it. He's just a unicorn. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, it, he just is able to, to use it, uh, to his advantage and, and bust through everybody. It's, it's, it's really impressive, especially, especially at his age. He's yeah. still going. He's, he's remarkable. I mean, he's played five straight seasons of between 77% and 80% of snaps. The Ravens needed wow. him. They had a game, you know, they were all light. But it's not just that they were light on the defensive line with only four guys. Right. It's the guys who they were. They had, you know, Justin Ellis. He's hardly ever played, you know, a, a, a significant number of snaps, certainly not in recent years. Uh, they had uh, Washington, who's barely played in the NFL. He's played 15% of the snaps this year. And they had Matabika, who played his first NFL action last week. And now you have to try and get through a game with four defensive linemen like that. Right. And the guy who made it work was was Campbell by stepping up with either 79 or 80% of snaps in this game, which is his largest uh, percentage as a Raven so far. 100%. I just want to say one other thing, which um, isn't completely, you know, positive which we've been so far obviously he's he's a beast um i will say i feel like leading up to this game one of the reasons that the ravens signed him was to get more pressure on the quarterback up in the interior so that the hopefully the edge defenders would would have more success i felt like prior to this game he hadn't done it as much as you would like when the ravens signed him and so i want to see this continue and like you said, there's great partnerships going on that he's doing. And so mm -hmm. I want to keep this going when it's not Brown that he's against. Yes. You know what I mean? Keep up the pressure up the middle. And I think that will help tremendously on these pass plays. All right. Yeah. Could, looking forward to it. And, and I think we're just starting to see the stunts coming, frankly. And, and it seems like sometimes less is more with the stunts. So it's like one well-planned one is better than – twisting all over the line of scrimmage. Uh, right. It used to be something I would see in Marvin Lewis teams is they'd, they'd run two stunts on, on plays a lot of times. And it's just, it got to be too much. But it seems like uh, what Campbell, you know, Campbell has a lot of savvy. And if they can isolate properly and, and get him exactly the right spot, Wolf is similar. Matabike has got a tremendous big boy role, so a very quick player. So he could be a player who could, who could, be either, I think, a good over or under guy, but there's tremendous potential on this team, much more than I can remember in any Ravens team uh, in a long time, really since Trevor Price was here. Mm, mm. Let's get it done. <laughs> All right. Any other players you'd like to talk about? Uh, I think I'm out. Do you have any more? Uh, I, I mean, there's other guys I guess you could talk about. Borak Pineland against the time limit. I want to make sure we have time for the mailbag. Yeah. Stars of the week, do you want to talk those? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, we kind of talked about all of them. Um, my, I mean, you cannot give the star on defense to anybody but Campbell. Mm -hmm. We just talked about him. Yeah, he's, he's my number one guy. Elliot's my number two guy. I think we talked about him a lot. But mm. just play after play, being around the football, it's, it's, it's Ed Reed-esque. And I don't want to overstate it, but it's just it's remarkable, his ability. Ed Reed, 2008, if you remember, is just forcing fumbles and, and intercepting the ball at will. I mean, just... It's uh, his ability to be around the football right now is, is really remarkable. It's, Humphrey is doing, you know, a lot of that same stuff. Humphrey hasn't had the interceptions either. Uh, I guess he did have one in week one, right? 
but uh, but otherwise he's uh, uh, you know he's been mostly a fumble machine. Um, the, this might be the the first game where Humphrey doesn't make my top three, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not like yet. But they had so many busted coverages, yes. even and they got lucky. They got lucky from that very yes. first drive. Um, there were some busted coverages, so um, that didn't get talked about too much. But um, that's something that I hope that they figure out. Uh, you know, Harbaugh contributed to, to communication on the back end. That usually is what they say. Uh, but, but yeah, not having Humphrey or Marcus Peters in our top three, that's having, you should always have one of them, right? It seems um, it. So at least they have been. And so you want to make sure that they get that, that cleaned up. Yeah. So M- Marcus Peters bit on one route and that ended up being the large drop that you just referenced on that first drive. Then he had the pass interference penalty that wasn't, no. which I thought he really did a good job on. And then Humphrey was in kind of a bad position, but I think he did just get beat very badly on the route. I don't know whether he slipped or whether he bit on the move wrong or what happened, but he's well behind Hightower right on the left side for the 50-yard reception. There's yeah. a 50-yarder up the left sideline. He's in the fourth quarter. I couldn't tell you exactly I'm when. I'm not remembering. The fourth quarter, I just, I'm trying to block out of my mind. <laughs> yes, <again>. that's good. <laughs> that's a good call. All right, how about we take a few mailbag questions? Sure thing. All right, Film Study Mailbag is your chance to interact using the hashtag Film Study Mailbag. All right, right now on the Film Study Mailbag, we're getting in a lot of uh, compliments on our new logo, Ken, that we rolled out today. (laughs) And then uh, along with that, a few questions. So first up is Raymond, who's saying, is the pass rush still the biggest trade need at the break? Uh, You go ahead, Sarah. Uh, Well, I mean, if we're talking about on defense or are we talking about in general? Um... Listen, on defense, yes. Um, however, what we just talked about, if the interior, you know, offensive line or, or defensive line, excuse me, continues to do well uh, with Calais Campbell, these stunts, these partnerships, like the blitzing, the Ravens have done a, you know, Wink Martindale, I think, has done a pretty good job of covering up that they don't have like this, you know, whatever, world beater, pass rusher. Um, so yes, I think it is on defense. I, however, am more concerned on the offensive side. Um, I know you guys will talk about this tomorrow, but I think the Ravens, um, not having Marshall Yonda and, and Hayden Hurst, I'm going to put him out there because the Ravens weren't a great wide receiver team last year, either in terms of production, but in terms of tight end production, they did. There already isn't a lot of threats. Hayden Hurst was one, and I'm not saying, I mean, he obviously didn't want to be here. He asked to be traded, um, and they got, you know, a nice second-round pick out of it. But um, the Ravens are not the bullies that they were last year in the rushing attack. They're just not. And I don't know, I don't see that changing. So to me, one of two things needs to happen. They either need to become bullies so, but I don't see a bully at right guard on the on the roster. I'd be happy if we were getting a B grade at right guard right now. And Ken, you're the one who does. I'd the be grade. thrilled. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't think we're even at a B grade. So I'm not asking for Hall of Fame Marshall Yonda, but I think a B grade, you know, level would do this, you know, team a tremendous amount of good. And and I think they need a threat, whether it's another tight end, uh, or another receiver, or just increasing Duvernay or whatever. But you know, I, you know, I, I, I'm sure Eric DaCosta is out there. He's an aggressive guy. I'm sure he's out there looking for one of those three positions, four positions, wide receiver or tight end or, or guard or pass rusher. 
I could see him looking for anything, and any one of them, I think, would, would help this team. But I think they need uh, – they've got to make teams pay for, for, for stacking the box on offense – on the offensive side, they're not making him pay for it. So they either need to become bullies again, which they're not, or they need another threat down the field. Yeah. Okay. Those are, those are both excellent answers. I, I think there's three places where the Ravens might make a, a move. And two of them would be potential budget moves. Okay. My, my first move would be get a slot corner who can really play slot corner and a, and a really good one. So if there's somebody available there on a team that's having trouble right now, go pick him up. Hopefully it's somebody who's in about year four, you don't always have all these circumstances come together, but somebody who's not going to cost them an arm and leg in terms of cap dollars because I don't think they want to spend that. So that'd be number one. Number two, I'd love to find a good, a, a, a tight end with a great pair of hands who has a reputation as not being a good inside inline blocker. Mm-hmm. The reason I want that is because I think I can work with that marginal characteristic because Hurst is not a good inline blocker, but he's a fine blocker in level two and three. He has the quickness to get out there right. and do what the Ravens need in the run game. I think that'd be very valuable to them. Hayden Hurst would maybe might you know be a reasonable candidate for that yeah. since the Falcons kind of suck now and I you know I don't they might yeah, maybe Hayden's like can I come back <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean it'd be it would be a reasonable kind of a kind of a solution if same problem would be created by it but you know maybe there's a maybe there's a way to get him back somehow uh that would make sense or or another player which is probably the more reasonable choice the only big money guy I'm really interested in c- pursuing and the draft capital has to be right is JJ Watt and I think the Texans... Look at you, Ken, going for a big name. Well, Let's go. Yeah, and I never do this. No, J- you don't. The, the Julio Jones thing is just ridiculous. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> it's not happening for so many reasons, but for Cap alone, it's not a good thing. J.J. Watt, I actually think you can have for a third-round pick right now. The Texans know they're, they're not going anywhere this year, I think, after the loss to the Titans. Uh, they might not have completely agreed to that. I know Watt is an icon in that town, but I think... They have $28.5 million or thereabouts. It might be slightly less than that now because another week or two has passed. But they have something like 27 to $28 million of money on that contract that they have to pay. And the Ravens can afford it. Um, they might have to not afford somebody else next year, but they can mm-hmm. afford to do it. And having J.J. Watt for two years is a very interesting proposition. Again, I think the most I would go out and be willing to give is about a third or a fourth round pick. Not a second, not a two, not a one. So I'm not giving away a ton of draft capital. You're basically picking up the contract for that, and it's a contract that the the Houston is not going to want to do. And I think if you're Houston, I think I can still sell this to my fan base and say, hey, look, with all J.J. Watt has done for our community, we just felt like in the waning days of his career, he deserved to play for a Super Bowl. Uh, I mean, I think... (laughs) Listen, I mean, if the Ravens brought in J.J. Watt, I am here for it. Um, I'm trying to remember, okay, if Bill O'Brien was still there, you know, maybe Eric DaCosta could get away with the fifth-round pick. That guy's, like, giving away, you know, all these amazing players. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, the offense is playing inconsistently, so uh, it's st- but it still can boom. It's a boomer-bust offense still. Um and so if you're having a defense that is already, I mean, heading into the game, number one in points per game, and then you add J.J. Watt to that, um, then it's like you have an excellent defense with, you know, an, an above-average offense. 
And I like that. I like that going to the playoffs. So I'm. I look at you bringing out these big names. You usually poo-poo all that kind of stuff. So yes, I do. Um, but but you saw the affordability, and I still think Houston fans would be upset. But I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a Houston fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, let's move on to Adam, who's wondering if what if you saw any personnel changes in that fourth quarter to explain uh, why Ben not break. Didn't bent really, really far. Let me just say the, the the Eagles played won by the big play in the fourth quarter. They had a fifty yard pass uh, on when the Ravens blitzed. They had a forty nine yard pass interference called that wasn't. They had a roughing the passer call on Ward that eh, some people are gonna say it was okay, some people are gonna say it wasn't. I won't we don't need to talk about that. They had another prayer that was thrown up on fourth and nine right into you know the maw of the devil apparently or more or less with Humphrey and Peters both there and somehow that ball didn't get played by a Raven there's so many things that had to go wrong all those two-point conversions had to work out the way they did up to the last one you know they they they, they jumped all of the hurdles in the 110 meter hurdle race before tripping over the last one <laughs> That is an excellent analogy. I have nothing else to add. That was a perfect answer. All right. All right. Bobcat wants to know, Harbaugh said some guys were playing overzealous. Was that directed towards Peters or Jimmy Smith? I thought uh, – I can go back and listen. I thought he was talking specifically about the play uh, where they faked with Jalen Hurts and they gave the ball to Sanders. I think he was specifically talking about that play because he actually was commenting or complimenting um, Elliot because he was saying Elliot and some of the linebackers were overzealous going after Hertz. So I don't think he was saying that like in general. I think I th and I can go back and listen, but my interpretation he was talking about that play in general, and I think he was or that play specifically, and I think he was right. Huh. Okay. No, I didn't. I I did not have an interpretation of that. Was Queen on the field for that run? I gotta look for a second. So that's the. Where is that? Okay. There's the RM seventy four right there. Second down play, and Queen was on the field. So I don't know. I, I actually, he's the player. I can't remember what he did on the play. And I'll have to go back and watch it again. Uh, I, I just feel like I remember all the the second line just totally. Biting on the face. Biting on it, yes. All right. Well, that does it for the mailbag today. Continue to get your questions in uh, as we will focus on the offense tomorrow. And uh, that seems to always send in more questions this year. All right. Well, Sarah, I, I took maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And on analysis day, that's, it's hard for me to break away for that amount of time. But to, to watch your show with Q, and it was outstanding. Oh, was, thank you. Was, so is it a Zoom call, or what exactly are you doing? Well, we just switched it. So Q reached out to me like five days before the season. And he's like, hey, he goes, I've been thinking about reaching out for you for like two years when you left the Ravens. He's like, but I didn't want to like, you know, impose because I know you were trying to take some mom time. And he's like, but I just, he's like, I'd love to do some kind of show with you. And so we were like, well, we got five days to do this. <laughs> and so... We were like, let's just do it on on uh, Twitter directly, and um, because that's where we have our most followers, we don't have time to like market this thing or like you know really build it up. So we originally were just doing it on Periscope, Ken. So I know you you haven't seen it before this week, and Periscope doesn't allow two faces. 
So mm. randomly, I figured out because um, I went on the um, is it Raven's Rap that um, they do over at Russell Street Report. They asked me to come on, and I come on, and they're using. I noticed that I'm on Zoom, but you can live stream it. So Zoom has been this perfect, um, uh, you know, piece of technology where you can record on Zoom and then stream it live to almost any social media. So we stream it live into Periscope and into Twitter. So it allows us to be able to take questions while we're, we're talking. And so we're seeing fan comments and kind of reacting and, and all of that. So I was wondering um, where those questions were coming from. So it, was, it was coming from Periscope. Okay. Yeah. And so, cause I was feeding the zoom into Periscope and then Periscope feeds it into to Twitter. <laughs> so, huh. uh, just new technology that I literally found like last week. Uh, it's fascinating stuff. And it's, it's, yeah. it's a very cool way to do it, to see the questions run by there. I know a lot of people have various mechanisms to do that, but you know, you and Q do a good job. I, I, I thought you're, you're obviously very well informed going into the show. And, and obviously so was Q about, about what was going on in the game, but it was, it was a really good discussion. I mean, look like Q was in his car. Yeah. He's <laughs> yeah. on the wrong side to be driving, fortunately. So somebody else was doing the driving, but, uh, but that was good. Yeah, yeah. He's always got his post-game show, so we usually do it uh, – we try to do it close to after uh, the press conferences on the game. So he's got his commitments uh, with radio, and then and then we jump on together on social media. All right. All right, outstanding. Josh, you want to talk about 336 or any other things we've got going on? Well, let's uh, – yeah, let's take a moment to tell people to continue to go on over to iTunes and rate and review the show. Um, especially now that we rolled out that new artwork today, it's something shiny on there. So getting some more reviews in there will help. Uh, that always helps bump, up, bump us up to the front. So if people go over there, there is a new 336. We talk the World Series and uh, what the Orioles can learn from these two teams, the Dodgers and the Rays, that'll be uh, facing off. And then over on filmstudybaltimore.com, we've got our normal full week. What's coming up? All right. Yeah, so we've got... Uh... Uh, Brian McFarland will be coming in over the bye week, and we'll be talking about both the offensive and defensive roster, and the kind of the where they are in terms of value relative to cap. I always love those shows. Love talking to Brian about them. And uh, now that's that's next week, Ken. It's, it is. That is next week. It is this week. We have an offensive podcast. No, that's true. And we have a by the numbers. I have to always go by when the thing is released. You're correct. <laughs> yes. So we're recording it this week to be released next week. There you go. Next Tuesday, next Wednesday, yes. All right, very good. So same normal schedule this week of all of defense, offense, and by the numbers. And continue to check out the Situation Room. Those guys are doing a great job over yeah, there. I highly recommend that. And uh, as always, follow Sarah on Twitter at SG Ellison. And me at Film Study Ravens and Josh at Josh Roca. Uh, that's it. Yep. All right. All right. We'll talk next time. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you. So you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones 
who get it done. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.